Hello, dear friends. My name is Leila Ibrahimova, and I am a Crimean Tatar, representative of one of the indigenous people of Ukraine. I have been living in Melitopol since 1974. I was kidnapped from my house on March 10. Armed Russian soldiers broke into my house at 6 a.m. There were many of them, and each one was armed. The 19th-century documents from the library in Kherson, paintings from the gallery in Mariupol, ancient Scythian gold. These are pieces that Russian soldiers have stolen since the beginning of the full-scale invasion on February 24, 2022. But even more historically valuable objects belonging to Ukraine are kept in the Trechakov Gallery, the Hermitage, and other Russian museums. Russia has been trying to appropriate or steal the most valuable items from Ukraine for over three centuries. My name is Anna Polinchuk, and I'm the producer and showrunner of this project. I lived in Bucha, near Kyiv, until war forced me and my family to leave our house. A valuable painting by Ukrainian artist Tatyana Yablonska that my father gave me remained there. Russians occupied our town and looted my house. Luckily, they did not take the painting. But this story made me reflect on numerous things they stole over centuries. That's how the podcast Why Do They Steal, produced by 435 Films, was born. We released the Ukrainian version in the autumn of 2022. In the next five episodes, together with Ukrainian scientists, museum workers, and lawyers, we will talk about Ukrainian heritage stolen by Russia. Listen to the first episode and subscribe to the YouTube channel Ukrainska Pravda or find Why Do They Steal on the podcast platforms. Our story begins in Melitopol, a small city in the south of Ukraine, near the Azov Sea and Mariupol. Alexander Lubushka, a local citizen and well-known volunteer, recalls the city during peacetime. Well, it's all pretty straightforward and nice, but Melitopol was a progressive city developing at a very fast pace. The city's infrastructure was under reconstruction. New roads, kindergartens, schools, gardens, a brand new ice ring, comfortable parks and comfy squares were appearing. We also had fascinating New York decorations. On February 24, 2022, Russia began the full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Melitopol was one of the first cities to be occupied by Russian troops. President of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, declared martial law. Dear citizens of Ukraine, this morning the president of Russia, Putin, announced a special military operation in the Donbass region. Russia attacked our military infrastructure and our border guards. Explosions were heard in many cities in Ukraine. We're declaring martial law on the entire territory of our country. Alexander Lubishka recalls. Everything began with a powerful explosion. There was an airstrike on the airport. There is a huge military airfield in Melitopol. The city of Melitopol was already occupied on February 25th after the full-scale invasion started. I never would have thought that I'd witness an occupation in the 21st century. You heard Leila Ibrahimova's words. Even though 
Russian troops quickly seized the south of Ukraine. Nobody was waiting for Russians in Melitopol. Most citizens refused to cooperate with Russian authorities, and pro-Ukrainian rallies began on the streets. Alexander Lubishko recalls. It did not come as a surprise to me because I lived in the city, talked to the people, saw them, knew about their daily life. I understood their mindset and their purpose for living. I expected it, and I understood why it was so. But Russians didn't expect rallies to take place, so they quickly began to stifle them. Activists and organizers of Ukrainian protests were persecuted to intimidate them into cooperating. Leila Ibrahimova, the head of the Melitopol Local History Museum, was one of the most noticeable patriots in the city. The museum had a unique collection of Scythian gold. That were dug by the museum workers in 1954. After the war, the people from the Yurovka tract, a field land behind the Melitopol station's depot, were permitted to start building there. And during these constructions, a man was digging a cellar, and the ground collapsed. You're listening to the words of Yuri Boltrik, one of the most experienced Ukrainian archaeologists. He's telling us about the process of digging the Scythian Melitopol Kurgan that was accidentally found in 1954. It was a private yard. It was, in a way, blocked between houses and fences, so they had to dig it up with their bare hands. They found a bit of gold, 199 grams, and then they realized it was something big and significant, so they went to the Academy of Sciences, and after that, academician Paladin, the head of the Academy of Sciences, sent Alexey Ivanovich Terenoshkin to Melitopol. They were the first Scythian gold pieces found and excavated in the field during the Soviet times. Only the Imperial Archaeological Commission had searched there before, and all the findings were stored in the Hermitage. Traditionally, all archaeological findings had to be sent to the center to the Hermitage. Fortunately, Academician Paladin refused to do it. It's his merit, in spite of emotional pressure, which was especially hard in those times. Since then, all the Scythian gold items found in Ukraine have remained in Ukraine. Melitopol is an exciting place from a historical point of view. There is, well, there's a vast number of Scythian kurgans. Some are huge, some are low, but there are also kurgans on hills, from the top of which you can get a view of many kilometers. That's what Alexander Lubishko says. Ukrainian scientists managed to keep the gold found in the Melitopol kurgan, and it didn't go to Hermitage, the Russian museum in St. Petersburg. Almost two kilograms of Scythian gold were found in the Melitopol Kurgan. There were coins, jewelry, headpieces, and weapons. But the primary value of this discovery was not the metal itself, but the possibility to see and understand how people lived and what tools they used in Ukraine thousands of years ago. Yuri Boltrik says... The Scythians were nomadic people looking for the best pastures who ended up in Ukraine in the 7th century BC. Anton Drabovich tells us about the importance of Scythians for our lands. He's the head of the Ukrainian Institute of National Remembrance and now serves in the armed forces of Ukraine. 
Scythians, Sarmatians, Polovians, Sumerians, and various people who were on the territory of our modern region in ancient times are our predecessors. I think this is why Ukraine is so cool. We have a solid basis not only in terms of the fertility of our soil, but also when it comes to our cultural heritage. We inherited many exciting things from many people. It's not something to be ashamed of. Scythians are the donors of our culture. Yuri Boltrick speaks. Scythians really faster progress on modern Ukrainian territories. We can compare Scythian swords and daggers' density to that of metal from the swamp ore and other waste produced by locals. It's one and eight, two and two. Professionals who study Scythian metal are simply amazed by its quality and beauty. That's one of the examples. They used quality wheels covered with iron, so they didn't break in fields. These wheels had additional metal fasteners. Their transport was pretty good. Part of the findings from the Melitopol Kurgan ended up in Kyiv, the capital of Ukraine, and became the basis of the Museum of Jewels. But 199 Sifan objects remained in the Melitopol Local History Museum collection. These artifacts turned into a real treasury visited by Melitopol residents and guests of the city. Alexander Lubyshko talks about it. We understand that it wasn't a museum of the Paris level or any other great place. It was a small one located in an ancient manor house, relatively small but with a pleasant atmosphere and full of exhibits. When you enter, you understand you can touch something that was here before. You can feel the history, our ancestors, something that happened long ago. And, of course, when people came, they were interested in seeing what was in the museum. Some even asked to visit it. Despite local resistance, Melitopol remained under the control of Russian troops. Intimidation, kidnapping and torture, repression against the rebels became commonplace. Russians were also interested in the local history museum and its Sifian collection. And not only because of the value of the gold. In fact, the Sifians are of great importance from the civilization point of view. After all, thousands of years ago, They inhabited the south of Ukraine and acted as mediators between then-then-Ukraine and ancient Greece, the cradle of European civilization. For Russians, it is essential to prove a connection with civilization, to show that their ancestors were not just wild barbarians. They are still trying to do this through the Scythians. In the mid-19th century, the Russian scientist and aesthetic Yegor Klassen concluded that Greek Scythia was speaking Russian or Slavic after studying many sources. By the way, Scythians is a Greek name. The inhabitants of these lands called themselves Skolots. The famous Russian sauna also comes from Skufia, as the Greeks called these lands. Modern research shows that all the archaeological sites of the distant Scythian era are inextricably linked with the culture of the ancient Rus. 
In all these findings, a direct continuity can be traced. The absurdity of these words can quickly be brought to light because Scythians spoke Iranian, not Slavic, and lived from the 7th century BC to the 3rd century AD. Sarmatians assimilated them, so they could not have had any contact with the Slavs, the first mentions of which appeared two centuries after the Scythians were completely extinct. Furthermore, Scythians inhabited the coast of the Black and Azov Seas, that is the territory of modern Ukraine, not Russia. Russian troops have now captured this same territory. Yuri Boltrik speaks. If so, by and large, Russians have nothing to do with the Black Sea. And the Black Sea is a Greek civilization zone. Those countries that have access, that have, so to speak, contacts in ancient times or their territory had connections with the Greeks or even with, to put it more broadly, with the great Mediterranean civilization. And we are part of that basin. These people have the right to be considered and are considered Europeans. Using the Scythians, first the Soviet Union and then Russia, carried out a kind of cultural intervention to the West. I was kidnapped from my house on March 10. At 6 a.m., armed Russian soldiers broke into my home. They knew everything about me. I ended up in a cell where the interrogation began. They were interested in my connections with the medjlis of the Crimean Tatar people and the museum. Then they asked me about Islam, history, and why I attended the pro-Ukrainian rallies. The protests were the focus of their attention. One of them tried to harass me. He told me some people had already told them everything they wanted to know. They threatened me. They warned me that they were in charge of the city. I told them that I was not planning to cooperate with them. After three hours of questioning, they pulled a black bag over my head again, put me in a car and quickly drove somewhere so that I wouldn't know where they were taking me. The kidnapping of Leila Ibrahimova, who has just shared her memories with us, actually took place during the meeting of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine, Dmitro Kuleba, with his Russian counterpart, Sergei Lavrov, on March 10, 2022, in Antalya. Ukrainians and the whole world followed the negotiations, hoping for a quick end of the war. While the ministers were coming out of the final press conference, Leila was being taken in unknown direction with a black bag over her head. Ukrainian journalist Asman Pashaev asked Lavrov about this crime. Women were kidnapped today. One of them is Laila Ibrahimova, deputy of the Zaporizhia Regional Council, a Crimean Tatar. How do you comment on this? These are the facts. You said these are facts, but I think this can be called by another word that starts with the letter F. The air, internet and mass media in general are full of fakes. I didn't know about this story of the so-called kidnapping of the deputy corps representative. But I know about the manners the Kyiv regime is known for. Despite the abstract and vague answer of the Russian Minister of Foreign Affairs, the case became well known around the world, which basically saved Leila. 
I was lucky to be liberated, and in the evening of the same day, employees called me and said that the museum had been searched. The invaders smashed the locks and entered the reserve where the Scythian gold was kept. Leila Ibrahimova knew that this was only the beginning and that the Russians already had their eye on the Scythian heritage. So, despite the extreme danger, she made a desperate decision to rescue the gold. As the head of the museum, I knew that we had to hide the exhibits. We buried the collection of Scythian gold and other valuables in an undocumented basement. On March 26th, when the employees came to the museum, they were followed by troops, the Russian military, and collaborators. They changed the locks and said that from that moment on, it was their responsibility, and there was no need to come to the museum anymore. On April 20th, the occupiers appointed a new director, collaborator Yevhen Horlachov. Horlachov and the Russian servicemen spent the whole week thoroughly searching the museum and interrogating employees one by one but no one gave them any information. Eventually, they reached the basement and stole everything they found. Why do Russians need the Scythians so much? Why, during the war with the front lines so close, do they make such concerted efforts to find a collection of antiques? Anton Drabovich has an answer. Russians rob our museums, Russians are trying to still appropriate and take ownership of our cultural heritage, political heritage, and objects, specific objects, chronicles, engravings, icons, and archaeological artifacts. Take them to their museum and fit them into their version of history and narrative. They're constructing the narrative of their political and cultural tradition. Without objects, without material values, well, this story is not very convincing. And so you come, for example, to the Tretikov Gallery or the Hermitage, an unprepared person begins to believe it. Many of those Russians who joined the army were not under compulsion. The Russian military believe in the superiority, the superiority of the Russian nation, in this version of history, because it sounds convincing, but this is an imperial product. Because of the museum robbery in Melitopol, the security services of Ukraine initiated criminal proceedings for violating the laws and customs of war. However, during the large-scale invasion, the Russians looted or destroyed not only the Melitopol local history museum, but the same fate befell many other Ukrainian cultural institutions. Anton Drabovich speaking. We were poorly prepared. We had an absolutely terrible attitude towards our cultural heritage preservation during the 30 years of our independence. You can just walk through the storage rooms of the top Ukrainian museums and check where there is no mold or crumbles, while such cases are rare. It's important to understand that heritage preservation is not just putting this heritage under the glass or in a locker. It's a massive amount of work that must be done by professionals who studied for it, not less than doctors. It's evident that not a single government or a single minister of culture approached this systematically during all these years. There may have been some individual efforts, but they did not yield results. The situation was supported by enthusiasts and is still backed by enthusiasts. And this is also one of the first things that must be changed after the victory in this war. Leila Ibrahimova speaks. 
I do not know where the collection is now. I hope that the cultural property of our people will return to Ukraine, namely to my liberated dear city of Militopol. Thank you for your attention and glory to Ukraine. You have just listened to the first episode of the podcast Why Do They Steal? We've talked about how Russian soldiers stole almost 200 Sifian relics stored in the Melitopol Local History Museum. Why did they do it? Not only because of the cost of the collection itself, but also to use the brightness of this gold to reinforce the imperial narrative, which the Russians have been constructing for centuries, using methods such as looting and terror. In the second episode of the podcast Why Do They Steal?, we will talk about the lost heritage of the Ukrainian Kazakh and hetman Ivan Mazepa. Watch Why Do They Steal on the Ukrainska Pravda YouTube channel and listen to it on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify and other platforms. Subscribe and share it. The material was prepared with the support of the International Renaissance Foundation. Production 435 Films Showrunners Korni Hrytsyuk and Anna Polinchuk Screenwriters Korni Hrytsyuk and Yuri Marchenko. Producer and narrator Anna Polinchuk. Sound supervisor Vasily Avtushenko. Assistant Irina Terletska. Project coordinator Olena Kirichek. English translation Anastasia Perun. English voiceover Alina Zivakova, Rob Feldman, Katarina Gordienko. English voiceover recording Pavlo Melnik and Ala Shmatok.